to prepare for the message this morning. Turn with me, if you would, into 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. And also, if you would, keep your finger uh, in or put a bookmarker in Ephesians chapter 4. And our main text will really be in Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our message series to the home. Uh, uh, this is a practical uh, Christian living series. Uh, this will be somewhat of a teaching uh, message this morning. There will be somewhat of group counseling this morning as we continue our series, Lifetime Lovers, Lifetime Lovers within God's Word this morning. Amen. It's so good to have you with us. If you don't have a sermon study guide, lift up your hand, and the ushers will get that to you as well. You can follow along uh, with the message this morning. Uh, a while back, I was at a conference, and uh, whether I'm at home or away, I like to have my quiet time every morning. At, at my quiet time, that's when I do my devotions and uh, are in the Word and in prayer, and uh, it was warm enough uh, to be out on the hotel balcony. And out there on the hotel balcony, uh, I, I was enjoying my quiet time when all of a sudden an emotional marital volcano erupted right next door. The hotel room next door, they had their door wall wide open, and I could hear every word, and every word was blankety blank, 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 blank. It was the most profane, obscene language I had heard since my factory days. And uh, he was just going into nuclear war verbally. Karen! You blankety blank blank woman, why won't you come downstairs and meet my parents? You blankety blank 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 blank. All I'm asking you to do is to come down with me and meet them, you blankety blank blank blank. And she was about just as bad in her response. Now he had a strategy. The, the, being a, a verbal monster was not working, so he resorted to the other extreme. And I could picture him on his knees, begging like a little boy. He then began crying and pleading, Oh, Karen, oh, I'm asking, I'm begging you, woman, won't you come downstairs and meet my parents just once, just once? Uh, that didn't work either, so he went back to being blankety blank blank Karen. Finally, folks, there's a certain point. Listen, Christians aren't supposed to be a pushover. God, Jesus himself said, uh, uh, be harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent. I, with my pastor preacher voice that uh, many times is too loud in a restaurant, but at times like this really works to my advantage. I yelled out over the wall, Karen, would you please go down there with him and meet his parents so the rest of us can have some peace around here? Oh, and he cussed me out on the other side. <laughs> but they slammed the door shut, and it was completely quiet. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. I kept looking for Karen in the hotel lobby down there. <laughs> that hubby reminded me of a hubby husband in 1 Samuel chapter 25. His name is Nabal. Can you say that with me? Nabal. No, not navel, like your belly button. Nabal with a B. The Bible says that uh, Nabal had a short fuse. Nabal had an anger management problem. Let's read what 1 Samuel chapter 25 says. These are not my words. This is the word of the God. He was uncouth, churlish, stubborn, ill-mannered, such a stubborn lout. No one could even talk to him. How would you like to be married to that? You say you are married. Oh, no. Don't raise your hand. At the same time, 
David, who was not yet king, was acting the, the part of Robin Hood in the same territory. David and his band of merry men, about 600 armed men that he led, would, would protect the farmers, protect the ranchers, like Nabal, from thieves, marauders. They were a wall of protection, the Bible says, around the, the sheep, the cattle, the farms of those in that territory. At harvest time, then David expected some kind of thanksgiving appreciation gift, at least some food so he could feed his men for their protection. Other farmers and ranchers contributed, but not Nabal. Listen to what Nabal said. Who is this fellow David? Should I take my bread and water and my meat and give it to a gang who suddenly appear from nowhere? When David heard that, oh, he, he lost it. You see, Nabal forgot that David had red hair. Nabal forgot that David had a short fuse too and an anger management problem. David said to his men, strap on your swords. If he's alive by this time tomorrow, something's wrong with us. And they set out 400 of them to kill every man and woman on that ranch of, of Nabal's. As they were galloping on their horses on the trail, all of a sudden David said, Halt! In the middle of the trail was a drop-dead gorgeous woman loaded down with donkeys full of food. I mean, it'd be like a, a, a New York model showing up at a construction site full of men with uh, White Castle hamburgers and Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> David and his men were drooling over the food, and a lot of them were drooling over her, too. Does anybody know her name? Abigail, Abigail, and the Bible says, these are not my words, the Bible says that she was a woman of both beauty and brains. She knelt down in the middle of the road, and she said this to David, Nabal, my husband is a bad-tempered bore. Please don't pay any attention to what he said. And now here is a present I have brought to you and your young men when the Lord has done all the, the good things he promised you and made you king of Israel, you won't want the conscience of a murderer who took the law in his own hands. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me. Oh, David thanked her and thanked her. He said, you have kept me from ruining my life. You have kept my anger from ruining my future. Blessings upon you, Abigail, for being a peacemaker. David received the food from Abigail. Abigail went back to her husband, Nabal, and told Nabal how she had been the caterer for David and his band of merry men and taken a whole lot of food and given it to David and his men. What did Nabal do when he heard it? He blew his cork. He erupted in anger, such terrible anger. The Bible says when his wife told him what had happened, he had a stroke. That's what anger will do to you. And lay paralyzed for about 10 days, then died for the Lord killed him. Hubbies, what's the word of the Lord here? Look out at what anger can do. Sure. When David heard about Nabal's death, the Bible says he got real spiritual. It's right there in the Bible. David said, praise the Lord. And then married Abigail. And they had a lifetime marriage together. Hey, what a love story. Look out, desperate housewives. It just shows you how anger could have kept David from God's best being king over Israel. Anger ended up killing Nabal. And who is the champion, the hero of the whole story? Abigail. Abigail. 
who chose to be a lover instead of a fighter and diffused the whole situation for the glory of God and God worked out everything for Abigail's favor because she chose to be a lover instead of a fighter. That's my word to you this morning. Lovers, not fighters. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to us, O Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying in this hour, O Lord Jesus. In your name and for your glory, amen. Amen. Hey, have you ever been really angry? Huh? I mean red-faced, eye-popping, pound the table, stomp the floor, foaming at the mouth, angry. Good for you. It shows you're a card-carrying member of the human race. Anger in and of itself is not sin. The Bible's clear on this. It's a God-given emotion. It's when you don't master your anger and your anger masters you that you move into the dark side of anger. Jesus, in righteous anger, cleaned out the temple and said, my Father's house shall be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. But Nabal and many homes, many marriages, many lives... And countless churches today are displaying, exhibiting the dark side of anger. Case in point, we can talk. We can talk to people on the floor of the ocean. We can talk to astronauts walking on the moon. We can talk to robots uh, strolling uh, the surface of Mars. But we have some family members that can't talk to one another across the dinner table. Because there's such deep-seated anger that has gripped the homes of not just America, but our churches today. God help us for what anger has done. Fill in the blank with me. Most marital problems, semi-happy marriages, and divorces are the result of unresolved anger. A couple, a couple had been quarreling in their car. Their Sunday afternoon drive had become a fight instead of a peacetime affair. And uh, all of a sudden, they came across on the highway a farmyard full of animals, especially pigs. And the husband spotted Alf and said, Hey, <laughs> look, some of your relatives. And she popped off and said, Yeah, my in-laws. Hey, when most of the marital communication consists of shouting, screaming, when most of the, the marital communication, the home communication, consists of intimidation through temper tantrums, waterworks, nonverbal expression of slamming doors, shouting, stomping as you walk, a fist through the wall, and even worse, when there's cursing and, and denigrating hurtful words, it's obvious that home has an anger management problem. Yet far more subtle, and in some ways far more deadly than the outward expressions of anger, is what I call suppressed anger. Do you know when you're dealing with suppressed anger in your marriage, your home, your relationships? You show me a pouting person giving the silent treatment, and I'll show you anger. That's suppressed anger. The passive-aggressive spouse. What are the symptoms of being a passive-aggressive personality? Consistently a procrastinator. Doesn't follow through. Consistently late all the time. The passive-aggressive personality in many ways is unconsciously, unconsciously getting back at a person by being late or not following through on a consistent basis. It's an unconscious, subtle way of expressing anger 
The depressed spouse, the depressed family member, one of the definitions of depression is frozen rage, anger turned inward. Then uh, a classic suppressed anger syndrome is the disallowance of feelings. For instance, when a husband understands that a, a key need for his wife is for her to express her feelings and need a spouse that understands and empathizes with her feelings, and so what does he do to retaliate against her? When, when she wants to talk, when she wants to open up, what does he do? Huh? Huh? He performs the disallowance of feeling syndrome, either outwardly or, uh, or inwardly. Uh, he clams up. He walks away. He drives away. Or he turns the TV up louder or the car stereo uh, up louder. He's basically saying, uh, I don't want to talk about this. Conversation over. Roger out. Listen, Bubba. <laughs> You're going to be surprised just like I was surprised. <laughs> Man, do I feel like I'm really leaning over on you now. <laughs> listen, hubby. Listen. I hope you remember more about this message than just what happened. <laughs> that conversation isn't over. If you don't let her say her piece, you're going to pay and pay and pay and pay. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now it's so far away I can't even see it. hope I didn't break it. The disallowance of feelings syndrome. You better start listening with your heart, with your ears, your head. Because it's going to come out one way or another in your marriage or your home. Then there's the retaliatory spouse. They use the gunny sack approach. It's the wife who wakes up her husband at 3 o'clock in the morning and says, what? Hey, I just remembered 11 years ago you didn't give me a Valentine's card on Valentine's Day and I just want you to know it. You're not going to forget this until the day you die. They let things load up and then they pile it on you. It's a form of suppressed anger. It's a form of retaliation. It's a form of revenge. Hey, did your beautiful wedding end up being an angry marriage? I have found the greatest anger is among people who are once very close to one another. The bloodiest wars are civil war. Attorneys tell us the most vicious cases are divorce cases. Police will tell you the most dangerous calls to ever go on are what? Domestic violence. Sure. Sure. All due to anger. The dark side of anger. Who's the author? Who's the source of the dark side of anger? Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, to show you the consequences of anger, Jesus said, under the laws of Moses, the rule was, if you kill, you must die. But I've added to that rule and tell you that if you are only the angry, if you are only angry even in your own home, you're in danger of judgment. If you call your friend, even your loved one, even your spouse an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse him or her, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Such are the consequences of anger. The spirit of anger's dark side doesn't come from God. I hope that's obvious. So if it doesn't come from God, where does it come from? Bingo, Satan, the enemy of your soul. And my soul. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. If I chose a main text, it would be this one. If I chose a main text, this would be our main text this morning. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still 
angry. Paul is saying, manage your anger. Master your anger. Before your anger masters you. Now look at verse 27. This is powerful. What happens if we don't master our anger? What happens with uncontrolled anger? And do not give the devil a foothold. I remind you, beachheads, footholds, become strongholds. Become strongholds. An anger problem in a marriage, home, or life is more than a relational problem then. It is a spiritual problem. It is a satanic manifestation. I am not talking about demonic possession. I'm talking about opening the door of your life, the door of your marriage, the door of your home to satanic influence, to the work of the enemy, a satanic manifestation. Don't tell me Christians cannot come under the influence of the enemy. Talk to Simon Peter. Talk to Judas. Talk to Ananias and Sapphira. They were all followers of Jesus Christ and came under satanic influence, work, and operation. The word is clear. Your life, your home, my life, my home can come under satanic attack. Would you go home today and leave the door of your home wide open? Are you crazy, pastor? How cold it is outside? Would you go home tonight and leave the door of your home, your front door, wide open? Are you crazy, pastor? Yet you're doing it all the time with your anger. And you're inviting, inviting Satan to move into your family, to move into your life and your, your marriage and do his deadly work. It's no wonder Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Be on your guard, for the enemy goes around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be aware of that. How can you discern if your home is suffering under satanic manifestations? Let your pastor share with you real quickly ways that you can discern for instance, a controlling spirit of anger is a satanic manifestation. A controlling spirit of anger is a satanic manifestation. Satan is called the God of this age in the Bible. That's one of his titles. That's one of his manifestations. He controls the media. He controls the governments of this world. He controls the cultures of this world. He is controlling right now the violence that is tearing apart our planet. And it's getting worse and worse if you've watched the news this morning. He is a controlling spirit. You show me a home where a spouse controls the purse strings of that home and uses it as leverage to get his or her way, and I'll show you a satanic manifestation. You show me a home where the little lady of the house says, if you'll do what I want you to do, the bedroom will come alive tonight, but if you don't, it's going to be colder than it is outside right now. You show me a home where the husband rules the home with an attitude like, me Tarzan, you Jane. My way or the highway. I'll show you satanic manifestation of a controlling spirit. When a teenager controls a home with bad moods, pouting, stomping up to his or her bedroom, slamming the door, using waterworks, using guilt manipulation like, uh, my, my friend's parents, let them go. Let them do those things. You're bad parents. I'll show you a satanic manifestation. Why are you being so quiet with me? Am I hitting your home? Know it for what it is. Know the source. Know who the author is. Show me a perfectionistic parent that expects all A's in the report card. It's good to have all A's. But when we are so perfectionistic, that it becomes bondage within a home. That's a satanic manifestation. You show me a, a, a husband or a wife that it acts more like a parent 
than a spouse. And like a parent is always teaching, correcting. They have the nonverbal expressions of wagging the finger. Uh, and I'm talking about the index finger here. And, and, and trying to correct and direct. Tapping their foot like mommy or daddy and treats a spouse like a child. I'll show you a satanic manifestation. That's a controlling spirit. That's a controlling attitude within the home. Husbands, uh, for instance, are classic with that. Uh, you don't clean the house like my mom cleaned the house. You don't cook like my mother used to cook. Uh, you're not a good wife like, like my mother was to my father. I often think of the poem that goes like this. He didn't like the casserole. He didn't like my cake. My biscuits were too hard, not like his mother used to make. I didn't perk the coffee right. He didn't like the stew. I didn't mend his socks like his mother used to do. I pondered for an answer as I was looking for a clue. Then I turned around and I smacked him just like his mother used to do. Evidence of the enemy's influence in a home through anger is also a murderous spirit. A murderous spirit. Jesus said the devil is a murderer. You see the evidence of the devil's work in our world and in our homes through murder. John 8, you belong to your father, Jesus said to the religious leaders, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. But pastor, I'd never kill anybody. You've killed them with your words. In anger, you can murder others with your toxic tongue. In anger, you can give voice and you can give work to the enemy's operation and manifestation in your home and your relationships. You can murder another's self-esteem. You can kill their reputation. You can slander their character with your words. The homicidal spirit of the tongue is alive and well in homes today. Kids who lacerate and their parents with their cutting ridicule. Wives who emasculate their husband's leadership. Husbands whose angry words have killed any ounce of love in the house. Uh, parents who scream at their children, we wish we never had you. worse than murder in many ways because the chain reaction down through the decades goes from family to family generation to generation market well rebellious deceptions another form of anger subtly manifesting the enemy's work in a life or a home who's the original who's the original rebel who's the original rebel not James Dean. Who's the original rebel? Satan. The Bible says that as Lucifer, he led a rebellion against God and took a third of the angels with him. Jesus also said that Satan is the father of lies. The serpent, the great deceiver, he comes across as the angel of light, saying one thing and doing another. Have you ever dealt with anybody in your home that says one thing and does another? And it's a subtle form of rebellious deception. It's a loving husband who lovingly outlines a budget for the new year so that the home can get out of debt, so that the home, the family, can achieve their financial goals. And all the time, the wife is abusing credit cards because she will not come under that budget. I'm telling you, that's re rebellious deception. It's a form of anger directed at the husband and his righteous delegated authority and leadership in the home. It's the teen who goes to places that are off-limits with people who are off-limits to do things that are off-limits. Rebellious deception. Anger directed towards mom and dad's rules. 
It's the husband who rebels against his wedding vows by cheating on his wife through porn or a mistress because deep down he's bitter at his wife for not measuring up to his marital expectations and he's guilty of an angry spirit directed towards her by doing those things. Remember, you can fool your parents. You can fool your spouse. You can fool me, your pastor, but you can't fool God. The Bible says in Galatians 6, the Bible says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Be aware of this. I grew up with a dad who constantly told us kids that the way he led his marriage, the way he led the home, the way he led the church was this strategy. Very short, very sweet, very simple, but so profound. Dad, one of his favorite expressions to me was this. I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. Phil, if you'll learn to lead your marriage and your home and your church by being a lover instead of a fighter, you'll move in victory. You'll move in blessing. I'm a lover and not a fighter. Are you sharing a home right now? Are you sharing a marriage with someone that's manifesting the enemy's spirit of anger? It could be outward or it could be suppressed, but it's anger, nothing less. Let me give you some very practical, practical counsel here this morning, but also spiritual counsel. How to be an overcomer in your home. How to receive the victory by being a lover instead of a fighter. Write it down. Refuse to let the spirit of anger in your home master you by mastering your anger. First of all, master your anger through a spirit of reconciliation. A spirit of reconciliation. What do you mean, pastor? First of all, prepare your spirit. Prepare your spirit. I want you to get alone with God and make a list of all the things that person has done to you. All, that per, all the things that that person has said about you. Make a list of all the things, the hurtful things that person has done to you. Then recognize that your family member, that person, is not perfect, and neither are you. Then recall all the things that you have displeased the Lord with, that you've disappointed God with. Begin to recall your sins and how Christ has forgiven you. Hopefully that will lead you then to forgive the other. Oh, that list? Burn it. Crunch it up. Throw it away. Get rid of it. That's what God did for you, didn't he? Second, plan to get with your loved one. And let your plan be to attack the problems instead of the person. Discuss the behavior instead of the person. Love the person. Love the person. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Ephesians goes on. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as who? As in Christ, God forgave you. Forgave you. A professional sat down with a group of children. A professional sat down with these kids and said, Can you tell me what love is? And a little four-year-old, like one of my grandsons, lifted his hand. And he said, Love is when my grandpa gets down on his knees and paints the toenails of my grandmother who has arthritis so bad she can't do it by herself. That's what I think love is. As I've said so often, love is more than words. Love is what you do. Saturate your home with three golden expressions. 
I'm sorry. I forgive you. And you'll never, ever err by saying this too much. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Too many Christians that I sit down in counseling with, they minimize the power of love. God has given you love, not just as a feel-good experience. He's given it to you as power. When you say, I love you in the home, when you do loving things for those in your home, hear me in this. You have power. You're taking steps to move your home into healing, into wholeness, into victory. And guess what? Not only do you change your circumstances, you're changed in the process as well. I love you. Third, pray and let God speak to you. Years ago, years ago, I really felt that uh, we need to talk things out, Becky and I. There was something cropping up in our marriage that I felt was unhealthy and not wholesome for uh, our union and our unity, and uh, she was the problem. And so I, I followed... Uh, my strategy, I went to God in prayer about Becky being the problem. And what I want you to do when you go to prayer, let God do the talking instead of you doing all the talking. And God talked to me. And as I wanted to pray, Becky is the problem. You know what the Lord told me? Phil, you're the problem. <laughs> you need to change. Before you ever meet with that one in conflict resolution, before you ever go to address the problem instead of the person, go to God in prayer and let him talk to you. Talk to you. Number three, plan the right time to breach relational problems, especially with your spouse. Plan the right time. When's the wrong time? When's the wrong time to talk about relational problems with your spouse or your family member. When your hubby just comes home from work and walks through the, 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 the front uh, uh, door of the house looking like he's been run over by a freight train, let me tell you, that's the wrong time to tell him, hey, honey, we got problems that we need to talk about. Hey, honey, I just ran over your golf clubs. Hey, hubby, uh, I, I just wrecked your, pick, your new pickup truck. Uh, hey, honey, uh, the IRS called and they want to investigate the last seven years. Choose the right time. Make sure the kids have been put to bed. Make sure he's had supper. Make sure there's no distractions where you can focus on the problem and, and not the person. Number four, godly confrontation allows time for reaction. If you're planning to meet with someone uh, and resolve a problem, a conflict, remember, you got the script. They don't. You know what you're, you're dealing with. They're being surprised. Be gentle. Speak softly. Focus on the problem, the behavior, not the person. Allow time for reaction. Speak only once. You don't have to keep preaching at them. You don't have to keep nagging them. You don't have to raise your voice and be repetitive. Plant the seeds and allow the Holy Spirit to fertilize the soil. But pastor, you don't understand. I've tried all that. It is so deep-seated in our home. It is so deep-seated in our marriage. Pastor, that one refuses to repent they refuse to talk about it. They refuse to change. What do I do, Pastor? We've tried counseling. He refuses to go to counseling. What do I do? Pastor, I can't do anything. I'm powerless. Listen, spouses. Listen, parents. Listen, loved ones. Whether it's someone in your home or outside of your home and practical measures do not work some of the worst feelings that we can have 
are feelings of powerlessness that we cannot change the situation. And in the name of Jesus, I declare to you upon the authority of God's word that you can rise up and do the most powerful thing that's more powerful than even counseling or all the practical measures I've already talked about. Because at the source, at the root of the issue, you're dealing with a spiritual problem. Capiche? Counseling, and I do not mitigate professional counseling. I'm a believer in it, and I practice it myself all the way up to the doctorate level. I've had loads of psychology and counseling skills. I can show you the library of it. Counseling, though, can only address the intellect, the emotions, and relational issues. But the Spirit of the Lord, His Spirit, can deal with their spirit. And that's the root of the issue. The root of the issue time and time and time again is satanic. A satanic manifestation. And you need to have a greater power to overwhelm His power. Jesus said, we cannot bind the strong man unless a greater power comes in and binds him and then can spoil him and rob him of his goods. Mark it down with me if you would. Uh, if you're experiencing a spirit of anger, refusing to change, recognize its source and your power in Christ Jesus. Your power in Christ Jesus. I will have wives and husbands sit down with me. I will have parents sit down with me. And they'll want to describe the personality. They'll want to describe what he or she has done, what they have said, how they refuse to change, and their problem with that, that person. And I'll have to remind them where their real fight, their real battle is. As I remind you this morning, time and time and time again, our conflict is not with a human person. Stop getting upset with a human person and start getting angry with righteous anger towards the unseen foe that is spoiling your future, robbing you of your joy in your life and in your home situation. This is the word of the Lord. Ephesians 6 verse 12, Paul teaches us our struggle our battle is not against flesh and blood. If the moment you realize that, the moment you walk in forgiveness with that person who's hurting you. The moment you recognize who your real enemy is, is a moment of victory. Our battle is against forces of darkness in the name of Jesus. Paul clearly elucidates this in Ephesians chapter 6. How do we win the warfare? We come against satanic spirits in our homes by speaking the name of Jesus in spiritual authority. Listen, Jesus' name in prayer is not to be tacked on to our prayer time like some holy mantra or formula. There's only authority and power in the name of Jesus when you use it with discernment. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you are praying prayers that are consistent with the will of God. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you are keenly aware you are God's agent. You are God's ambassador on earth to work His will which is in heaven that it might be on earth. You are praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're transacting kingdom business with the spiritual power of attorney for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When we pray in the name of Jesus for our homes and for our marriages and for our lives, His light invades the darkness. Strongholds are pulled down. They must at the name of Jesus. Mountains move when the weakest Christian goes down to his or her knees. In the name of Jesus, all of hell trembles. Jesus said, I have all authority in heaven and earth. Christian, 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 stop preaching at that one and start praying in the name of Jesus. 
Mark it down. You can have victory over the enemy's controlling spirit in your home through the Spirit of the Lord. If your home is being invaded by a controlling spirit, a perfectionistic spirit, a driven spirit, come against it in the name of Jesus and invite a greater spirit to move into your home, your marriage, and your life. The third person of the Trinity. Yes, he's pictured as a dove, but he's also pictured (laughs) as a roaring fire consuming all that goes before him. For it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. You have tried counseling. You've tried books. You've tried seminars. You've heard every video there is on marriage and family. You've tried it all. How about the surgeon of the soul? How about he who is the third person of the Holy Trinity? The Holy Spirit. He knows more about your mate. He knows more about your child. He knows more about that hurting individual, that angry situation, than you do. When you pray in tongues, when you pray in God language, when you pray in the Spirit, uh, the Bible says you're speaking mysteries to God. God, the Holy Spirit, accurately diagnoses the situation, accurately gives a prescription for the situation. God, the Holy Spirit, gives a remedy for the situation. You've tried speaking to their intellect. You've tried reasoning in logic. You've tried using emotion with them. How about spirit to spirit? At the root of your problem, it's spiritual. And in many ways, it's demonic. Release his spirit, which is greater than the spirit of hell. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Invite the Holy Spirit to be have preeminence in your home in the name of Jesus. Begin to pray, O oh Lord, my home, my marriage, uh, my child, my husband has not been fashioned for the, the power of the enemy. This vessel is not of the the halls of hell, but this vessel, this life, this home has been fashioned for the presence of the Lord and the enemy has no authority in this place. Hallelujah. Come, Holy Spirit. Come on down and breathe upon my situation for the glory of God. You can be a victor and not a victim by confessing God's Word, speaking His Word. Most of us read God's Word. Most of us know about uh, memorizing God's Word. Most of us uh, know uh, about... uh, Uh, the power of God's Word. But instead of reading God's Word, how about releasing God's Word? Ephesians 6.17 says, The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You've tried counseling. You've tried self-help books. How about speak the Word in prayer? confess God's word. God's word is power. Jesus, when he dealt with the devil, Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Take your stand, and you might be facing a Goliath in your home. And take your stand in prayer, hunker down in the name of Jesus, and recognize that this battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. You're not dealing with flesh and blood. You're dealing with satanic forces. So this battle has never been yours in the first place. It is the Lord's. And like David went against Goliath, you go against your Goliath, you run to the roar, and you declare, you come to me with sword, spear, and shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord that my family might know that the battle is the Lord's and no weapon formed against me can prosper. Greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. Speak the word. Claim the victory. And watch what God will do. Finally, finally, claim the victory for your home by pleading the blood of Jesus. Pleading the blood of Jesus. Revelation 
chapter 12, verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Bill Bogle, you and I grew up in a church that sang, there's power, there's wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. We used to sing that chorus, and we'd put more powers than what they wrote in that chorus. There's power, wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Think of it. It wasn't the teaching, it wasn't the preaching of Jesus that brought the victory. It wasn't the miracles, even the raising of the dead that brought the victory and overcame Satan? What was it that finally, decisively, won the battle for the kingdom of God over every work of hell? What was it? The shed blood of Jesus upon the cross of Calvary. The blood that we celebrate this morning. The blood that we hold our hope in this morning. The cup, uh, which is the cup of the New Testament. The shed blood of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. In Egypt of old... In Egypt of old, what transpired when God's people were in bondage? They were the people of God, but they were in bondage. There are people of God here this morning, and I have named something. I have spoken to your spirit in the name of Jesus that has resonated with you, and now you're recognizing there's a form of slavery, satanic manifestation in your home, like the people in bondage in Egypt's land. What was it that freed them? Was it the plagues? Was it the staff of Moses that turned into a serpent? Was it the miracles of God? It was the blood of the Lamb. I said it was the blood of the Lamb. They were commanded to take animal's blood, uh, lamb's blood, uh, and and painted upon the doorposts of their homes so that when the destroyer came into the land, who's the destroyer? Satan. When the destroyer passed through, when he would see the blood, he would pass over. If lamb's blood, if animal's blood can do that with the enemy, what can the blood of the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus, do to old Slewfoot in your home and in your situation? Hallelujah! There's power in the blood. Plead the blood. Plead the blood in prayer. Plead the blood in your praise and worship time. Take your stand and declare, Hallelujah! What can wash away my family's sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make my husband whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that will make him, that will make her white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. It's okay. Grant him praise and glory. Hallelujah. Let's not make this a ritual. Let's make this a declaration this morning to the halls of hell that our God is greater. Hallelujah. I was watching the news this morning, Fox News, early this morning. Horror upon horrors. I saw... Christian after Christian after Christian. Did you see the news as well? Our brothers and sisters in Christ in orange jumpsuits being led by black hooded ISIS to their execution to be decapitated. Christian, do you know the hour in which we live? Are you understanding? Are you discerning the times in which we live? What we're seeing right now in Russia, what we're seeing in Syria, the Middle East, what we're seeing around the world right now is fulfilling the, the, the signs of the times, uh, Bible prophecy left and right. Revelation is clear in the last, the last days that they will be beheaded for their faith. And we're seeing it before our TV news and our own brothers and sisters are giving their lives for Jesus Christ. Rather than, rather than compromise, they're losing their heads. But I declare to you that we're on the winning side. Face it, the devil's been a loser from the very beginning. In the very beginning of time, he was kicked out of heaven. Hallelujah. Then he was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Jesus defeated him in the wilderness temptation. As Jesus said, it is written. 
And at the cross of Calvary, the shed blood of the Lamb of God decisively defeated the halls of hell. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You and I have hope beyond this veil of tears because of the blood of Jesus. My Bible and your Bible says prophetically that there's going to be an hour in which Satan will leave the heavenly dimension and he'll come to the earth, the Bible says, in great wrath and great anger. He will possess the Antichrist, the beast, 666. In the twilight zone of that Armageddon hour, though, Hallelujah. John the Revelator said, uh, I saw uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords descend from heaven with a shout. And the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. And even old Slewfoot will bend his knee and confess with his mouth that Jesus is Lord. We're on the winning side. There's no sense following a loser. Hallelujah to our Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lifetime lovers are called to be lovers and not fighters. Father, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning, we recognize, O oh Lord, that our fight is not with flesh and blood. We wrestle not against demonic powers, with, with flesh and blood, but with demonic powers, O oh Lord. God, I pray that you'll strengthen your people with hope, with, Lord Jesus, encouragement, in the shed blood of the Lamb of God. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning. Before Holy Communion, I always want to give an opportunity for people to say yes to Jesus. Perhaps this morning as heads are bowed and no one is looking around, perhaps it's not a matter that anger has been a problem to you. Perhaps lukewarmness is coming to your heart. And you're not sure that you're right with God. You're not even sure if you have a home in heaven. You want to partake of communion. But there is a sense in you that sin has separated you from the lover of your soul, Jesus. This morning I'm prepared to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation, a prayer that will make you right with God, allow you to take communion, know that you know that you have a home in heaven. If you would like to be included in that prayer this morning, if you want to be sure you're right with God, would you just lift up your hand right now by faith believing and faith receiving? Just lift it up. Your upraised hand declares your faith in Jesus Christ. Your, your upraised hand declares that you want to be right with God and included in this prayer. Lift it up so that I can see it. How many this morning? I don't want to leave anyone out. Precious Jesus, we just take a moment here. I understand that this message has been mainly to Christians this morning. Precious Jesus. If not this morning, how many? How many Christians this morning would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Pastor, I'm dealing with what I believe is a satanic manifestation in my situation. It might be at work. It might be at school. It might be at home. But you understand this morning what you're confronting. Would you lift up your hand this morning before we take communion? Yes, 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 yes. All across the sanctuary. Yes. Precious Jesus, precious Jesus. You may put those hands down. Precious Jesus, would you carefully take the cup and the bread with me right now and stand with me this morning in the name of Jesus. Precious Jesus, hallelujah. Stand with me in reverence this morning. 
Precious Jesus, what does this bread represent? What does this bread represent? The body of Jesus Christ. It is not the body. We don't teach transubstantiation that somehow it's going to be transformed into the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus also said, I am the gate. It didn't mean that Jesus turned into a gate when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was speaking metaphorically. Jesus took the bread before supper, the Bible says, and Jesus broke it. Jesus said, this bread is my body broken for you. Just how this bread is broken. I will be broken for you. Why was he broken? That you and I might be made whole. As you believe, receive. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Precious Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your broken body. We thank you, Lord, that the stripes were laid upon you, that we might be healed. In the name of Jesus, if you need a healing touch from the Lord this morning, just receive his touch even right now. Precious Jesus, I speak the healing virtue of our God who cannot fail. Lord, even right now into that life, that body, that needs your healing touch. For Lord, you were wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon you. And by your stripes we were healed. We receive it as we believe it. As you hold the cup this morning, I invited you to lift up your hand if you're dealing with a satanic manifestation in your relationship circle. It might be at work. It might be at school. It might be in your friendship circle. It might be in your family circle, your relative circle. It might be your home. If that's you, you lifted up your hand. Before you partake of the cup, I want to invite you to join me at this altar right now. Come, even right now, as we're going to declare victory in the name of Jesus over that situation. Come. If you lifted up your hand, come. Come. Don't hesitate. Amen. Don't hesitate. Get out of the boat. If you get out of the boat, you'll walk on water. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Come. Come. Amen. Amen. Press close if you would. Press close if you would. Amen. Precious Jesus. Elders, deacons, I want you to come behind. Elder couples, deacon couples, come behind if you would. Precious Jesus. Pastors, precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Hallelujah. Precious Jesus. After supper, Jesus took the cup. Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for the remission of many sins. All of Bible history was culminating in that point on the cross where Jesus would shed his blood. Every animal sacrifice pointed now to the Lamb of God whose blood, hallelujah, would break the back of every power and authority of hell. For the blood of Jesus will never lose its power. It still flows to the lowest valley. It still climbs the highest mountain. There is no battle that it cannot win. There is no problem in your home or your marriage that it cannot solve. Hallelujah. 
as you drink the cup this morning, you that are down here at the altar, as you drink from the cup, take your stand of faith and begin to plead the blood of the Lamb over that situation. And you begin to declare the enemy is a liar. And declare that Jesus is your victory. And begin to thank Him in the name of Jesus. That our God is greater. Our God reigns. After you're done drinking from the cup, the elders and the deacons and the pastors will lay hands upon you. And let's turn this into a celebration of victory this morning in the name of Jesus. Are you ready? Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for the remission of many sins. As you believe, receive this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.